Welcome to the Rock and Roll Survivors Podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and on season one, the legendary rock star Patty Quattro joins us to discuss her time with the band Fanny, the fabulous feedback from the international press, David Bowie's contributions to the fifth and final Fanny album, and so much more. So let's get started. One of the things I just learned about Casablanca Records is that it was originally owned by Warner Brothers. Yeah. And that it did so poorly that Neil Bogart basically had to buy them out and then he owned it. And that Fanny was one of the two bands to reach chart success for him, which put Casablanca a bit on the map. I'm sure you know that, but I only just learned that Fanny put him separate from Warner Brothers with Casablanca on the map. So how did the, how did it come about that Fanny got signed? Do you have memories on this? Yeah. Roy, Roy knew Neil and Neil was very ahead of the time. He had vision. He saw Kiss who had to, uh, I mean, they had to break their record in, you, you don't know this. They had to break, they were told to break their record in Detroit because Detroit audiences, if you get them, you've got it. The who had to do the same thing. They were going to get dropped. But Kiss had to go to Detroit and break that record or Casablanca was going to let him go. But they were one of his bands and he really wanted to make them happen. And they were different. He loved something different. So he wanted Fanny. Roy talked to him and he said, yep, let's do it. So they signed us and they, you know, just left Warner Brothers. It hadn't worked. So Neil put a lot of support behind us. We got right on a U.S. tour. And I mean... Oh my God. What's so funny is this is this is the part of the story that history never gets right. Um, when Gene and Nikki left, you know, when when they formed the new band, right? There's a lot of emotion there as far as familial stuff. Here I had left Susie and Mickey. Jean was now separated from her sister. She played with her her whole life. Just imagine how that felt, starting a new band, completely different, new label, Casablanca. And here we were. And I found it rounds you out. You're playing with your family harmonies and your family people, and you're in a certain niche that way. But you expand yourself and you round out going with something different and new. Jean became, and I tell her this all the time, she became a front performer. Her and I would get up front in the new Fanny and we would play off each other with our guitars and you can you could see the excitement. She was like coming out of her little niche box with June and the old Fanny. And Nikki felt more wild, you know, she could just let loose. So there's something to be said with a changing of the guard sometimes, as odd as that may sound, because they loved their first band and they should. They did great, you know, but there was something new and different to propel forward. And it was very important. And Neil saw that. He saw that. He put a lot of support behind us, a lot of parties at the studios and stuff. We had a good time, but we worked our butts off to become his new band that was different and going to change some minds about women. 
I love that. And my dad and Neil were best friends. If my dad said yeah. if I was ever going to have a godfather, it would have been Neil. I was so sad when he passed away far too young. He was a visionary. I always he thought was. That. And both he and my dad, it's funny that you're saying that because my dad's thing was be the first. Yeah. Be the first of anything. And that was exactly. the same idea with Neil. So and and Tret Fury who you know, the musician, she and I had a wonderful talk a couple of years ago and my dad managed Tret Fury for a little while. And mm -hmm. she was reminding me that in those days, if you went to go pitch, let's say a female folk singer, that if you went to Mercury Records, the A&R people would say, oh, we already have one signed. Like it was that token, like we already have one, like we already have the metal band signed, you know, and but now then Whereas Neil with Casablanca just opened up this idea of what you could do with music and then in film, he was extraordinary. Exactly. I have very fond memories of his office, but would you like to share your memories of his office? Oh, the camel. <laughs> I think we all got on it, you know, fooled around. Neil, Neil was the one that proposed us being who we wanted to be even sexually and costume-wise. Do what you want. And that's where David Bowie came in and helped design costumes. And, you know, they were more sexy looking, but they were raw and edgy. It wasn't like glam, like what you, you know, look at that era. They were different, the scarfy stuff and colorful. And we loved it. All the girls were loving it, except Nikki had to wear that rainbow wig. She she was not, <laughs> you know, she always had to put something in there that would tweak people a bit. But so wait, 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 before you go on. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. So that was Nikki's idea to wear the. Oh, yeah. All Nikki. That's always what I remembered. So oh people say like, poor Nikki, she had to wear that. It's like, no, she picked it. That's so Nikki. It's so. And I don't know whose idea. I can't remember if it was Neil's or your dad's. But we came up with the rock and roll survivors which made sense for us to be crawling out of the mud because women had had such a rough road. It was like not done. What, girls rocking a tar between their legs? You know, I mean, come on. So I don't know whose idea it was, but it sure was talked about that, you know, coming out of the mud thing and survivors. That That's what we were. I mean, women were not doing that in those days. Well, it's interesting because I am still trying to work on this, but um, I've reached out to that photographer, John Bilecki, and yeah. he is difficult to find. So if anybody has any contacts for me out there, I would totally appreciate it <laughs> because I asked you, Patty, if you remember how, who was the art director behind the idea of crawling out of the mud? Was I feel like that was my dad. That's such a thing my dad would do. I have a feeling it was your dad because Neil didn't really make those kinds of decisions. He was he was like the supportive visionary, you know, in the background. It was probably your dad. He was so supportive of the women and doing it and being the first, like you said. He was a strong support. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was his idea. And then Nikki got the idea to write the title song, Rock and Roll Survivors, which was a beautiful song. It fit it perfectly. And you know, it became our rock opera. Yeah. Well, and I we're going to spend a lot of time on the rock yeah, opera. Yeah, we'll get into I, it. I think that's, a, I think people don't necessarily understand what the concept was, even though it was a rock opera. So we will get there. But I want to tease out a little bit, again, more of the costumes, because you're mm -hmm. saying David Bowie was the one who came up with these ideas for your costumes. So for those who don't know, 
David Bowie and Jeannie, Jean Millington, started to have an affair. If that's what you want to put it, they were a thing. (laughs) And then come to the he would come to the gigs. He came to what I remember the New York City one because he came in a little bit late and he told us later, always make an entrance. I mean, is that so David Bowie? So David Bowie. And I was modeling in spare time. I was modeling for our costume designer, Mary Basil in LA. I was fronting her line of designs. And David put forth these ideas with this raw, you know, ragged stuff. And she did it. She interpreted it into an idea and she made the costumes and they were amazing. David loved it. He loved what we did in our band and him and Gene were tight. And, uh, and just I remember- to clarify, he, my dad and Jeannie were still together during this time. Yes. So <laughs> together, I remember one crazy night in LA where we went to uh, the hotel that they were staying in him and Angie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is funny. Um, she was pretty by. And I remember she went and they had an open marriage <laughs> and he went off with Gene and she put the play on me. Oh. Now, I was straight, you know, I, I'm not bi. And I've been, I mean, I've had uh, gay girls in my bands, my retro bands, but I was not interested. So I ended up leaving. Gene stayed with David. Weird night. But he was always supportive. And you know the line he said, you know, revivify Fanny and my work is done. He was so supportive of how we played and how valid we were and how the history was not treating it correctly. He gave us a lot of validity. Yeah. I think that's so important to underscore because not only is it true what he is saying and that, he, you know, revivify Fanny, because you were such an incredible band. But I also think it's important to think about the date when he said this, I believe he said oh. this in 1984. So, and I, I believe that a lot of people now interpret that quote as just the first four albums. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. That's part of where history's wrong. Sorry. He came to see us a lot of times. I don't know if he ever saw the first four. He respected all the work in the albums, but our band was the one he came to see and made comments and put in costume input. He was into it. So that's where the story has been skewed a bit. I do know. I think in the end, he respected the whole legacy, but the ones he saw were our band, the second Fanny. Yeah. And came to gigs and stuff and was with Gene. Yeah. I do believe that he met the earlier incarnation in France. I could be wrong on that. So I know that there was a meeting, but I find just the timing of it now so much more interesting yeah. that it had to do with the fifth Fanny album because he was involved with the fifth Fanny album. He was involved and he was so respectful as far as um, he wanted to just put out there that there were these girls that were rocking it hard, you know, and he felt he needed, he was so gracious. He was always so gracious. He would help whoever he felt, you know, should have been up there and recognized so I'm not surprised he said that later in life. I'm, I'm not surprised. I think he had real good memories of his interaction with us. That's wonderful. That's and he was kind. He was just kind. Yeah. 
In hearing you talk about David Bowie's connection with the band, and obviously Jeannie was with him at the time, and the song Butter Boy was written for David Bowie. Right. It's interesting now to think about that John Lennon saw you at the whiskey with the tampon in his head, because Gene did do backup vocals on their song, their collaboration, Fame. Yeah. This was all happening at very around the same time. It was all happening around the same time. Sorry. One of my favorite songs too. Oh my God. We did that. We did that in one of my bands. Try singing it and playing that. I had to play that and sing it. It was probably one of the most difficult songs I had to do on stage because they were counterproductive the way they Different timing to the verse and that lick. But oh, I it's one of my I favorites. I love that song. Oh, I love that song too. I love it. I was really happy when it became a commercial for all the royalty reasons. For oh god, <laughs> Jeannie. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm an equal opportunity musician. I always have been. I love all kinds of music. If it's good, I'm there. I tend more toward the heavier rock even soft metal. I mean, there's a lot of bands I love now, you know, Alice in Chains and different bands contemporary. But I, if it's good, I love it. Like I said, my only thing is, and I'm just another asshole musician, but I love a singer taking me on a journey. So I look for that. And Nikki, playing with Nikki, to me, she was their best singer in the original. That's just how I feel. And I've told the girls that, you know, I thought she had an edgy voice, had a little rasp to it. She put herself out there. I loved the way she sang on the ones that she sang on. So it was great, you know, playing with her. She added something to the vocal mix when we did, uh, you know, Rock and Roll Survivors. And she was the whole package. And she even threw shade on me at times. You know, you've read the interviews later in life where she had a long one and just dissed everything, you know. But that was Nikki. She was a strong chick, that ballsy, that said what she thought. She didn't care what anybody thought about it. And honestly, I wasn't offended. Everyone has a right to their perspective. That's what I believe, you know. I'm not offended. So when she threw shade, uh, that's Nikki. And she just, but she was the complete package. She could write, she could sing, she could play. You know, I was proud to play with her, even though she said some nasties. It was fun. For me, I loved it. I had a great experience playing with the uh, incarnation I was in. I love hearing that. I want to talk a little bit more then about Nikki leaving the band. Because there's a lot of, and you're talking about this interview that she gave. And we talked about this briefly on another podcast that I did, the Old Fanny podcast. But she wrote this in a moment in time. I mean, can you imagine all of us being held to something that we wrote so long ago when things were not going well, when all of these dreams were happening and it was all imploding in front of her? So, but the idea has been that she, which I completely get and I understand and I respect it 100%. She hated my dad. She fully thought he blackballed her in the industry. And you know what? He probably did because he I was a very it. conflicted human being and what? nobody knows her background story 
It's been very hidden. And she was terribly conflicted. I wish her the best. She was a talent. And it was sad what happened. Like in the second Fanny, which I think you're getting to, we had, Kristen, when I read back the press we had on that U.S. tour and going to England, traveling with Toll, the press was so positive and loving the new direction. There were so many good things written. It blew my mind. And she was being wined and dined. There was some, I don't want to say jealousy because she could hold her own on any stage, but she got a little perturbed that a lot of the uh, press focused on me and Jean up front. It's just, you know, they go to the front people. They just, they just do that. And she was such a talent. And I think it bothered her a bit. And she, and I, I don't know that for sure. That's just my impression, you know, and she was being wined and dined by a company to do her own solo album. And right as Butterboy's hitting national, she was going to leave and do her own solo, which went nowhere. It didn't do anything for her. And she became pretty much a recluse after a few years. It's very, it's a very sad story for me because I loved Nikki. I thought she was the whole package, you know, and it's sad that that's what happened to her with such talent. But, you know, they're the decisions we make in our life. And I have no idea where she went to in her own mind, but that's what she did. She just left the business, became a recluse, never wanted to talk about Fanny again until that interview that we both read. And it was pretty demeaning of the first four. Yeah, she didn't really talk about the second incarnation, but probably because it was just a year and she had had four years with the others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all heard the stories about the fighting and the ego things. I mean, we're young, 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 looking for your path. You know, when you look back with wisdom, it's a lot different. You can see somebody else's perspective a lot clearer. And that's what I strive to, you know, I feel bad that that broke them up so meanly and and wrongly, you know, that it ended that way. It's sad because they were a good working band, but life moves on. You know, and so did her and Jean. They moved on. They didn't want to stop. And we're going to talk a little bit about the press that you got. It was phenomenal. Oh, I mean, I'm not trying to compare, but it was night and day. The new incarnation, the press. And Jean and Nikki. Another thing about interesting about egos and throwing shade, Uh because after the band was done, more shade thrown on those days by certain people. And it's so interesting to me, okay, that's what you said then when it ended and you moved on to something else. But at the time, both of them couldn't say enough good. You know, like, oh, this is so fun. And Patty's bringing this rock edge from Detroit. And, you know, everything was hunky-dory and they were loving it. And it's just funny to me how your mind goes to interpret it differently once you're done with that project. It's sad, but that's what you do when you're young. Sometimes you do this stuff, you know? You know, when you're talking about this, it really puts my dad's resentment on Nikki in a whole different light. Yes. Because you were about to hit. You all but were hitting. This was Neil Bogart who had taken a chance with my dad. This was all the work that my dad had put in that didn't happen before in the four years at Warner Brothers. And now here it was. 
and Nikki leaves. Right there, right there, right on the cusp. I mean, it was hitting everywhere, that song. It was way high on 29 on the national charts. And it was about David Bowie. (laughs) The whole song was about her affair with David Bowie. It's so funny. I was ready to roll, what a shock to find out I was in control of the situation I didn't need no time or destination You said, say you look at mine, have I met you before? I said, your place of mine is getting hard to be sure of an invitation 